Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I'm looking at a tweet sent out by Democrat Representative David F. Bowen last evening. And it's got some video attached to it. Marching, here's what he writes. Marching with a diverse crowd of youth through the conservative Milwaukee suburbs where they elect legislators who don't support progressive policy that would hold officers accountable. It's 1 a.m. and narrative is the same. Just give us the change we need. 1 a.m., by the way, several hours after the curfew. So you have a state representative who doesn't feel that he has to pay attention to the curfew. But that's not the big point. We're marching through the conservative Milwaukee suburbs where they elect legislators who don't support progressive policy that would hold officers accountable. All right, can, can we just take a step back here for a moment? Hold officers accountable. Now, I, I presume he is, of course, referring to the murder, and I use that word murder, I, whether you can argue whether it's first degree or second degree or third degree or whatever, but it's, it's a murder. The murder of the man in Minneapolis a week ago, Monday, at the hands of a police officer. So th- that's it. We don't, we're marching where they elect legislators who don't support progressive policy that would hold officers accountable. Now, let, let's wait a second here. Let, let's try to break this down. Officers aren't being held accountable. Well, what exactly does that mean? The last time I checked, the officer who was responsible for the death directly was arrested, taken into custody, and is being held, I believe, still without bail. He, he's in custody. I mean, what what? What more do you want? What policies do you want to hold officers accountable? The man, at least in my opinion, clearly violated the law. He has been arrested. Presumably he will, if the charges stick, and I believe they probably will if they're appropriately charged, he will be serving a lengthy term in prison for what he did. All the other officers who stood around and watched while the man's life was taken away, they, they have now been fired. Everybody's been fired, and I know the authorities are looking at determining whether or not there's some criminal charges they can bring there. So, But what, what more accountability do you want in this particular situation? You have a justice system that appears to be working. You have charges that are issued. You have people who have lost their jobs, and yet you get well. You know these these were in the suburbs where the legislators don't support progressive policy that would hold officers accountable. The officers, in the case, if again, if we're referring to Minneapolis, they've all been fired. One is already in jail. My guess is that there may be other charges against one or more of the other officers. So it's kind of like. 
you know, what, what really is the point? This is, we, we, we started off with a protest demanding justice for the perpetrators of the crime in Minneapolis, and now it's just this sort of broad, well, we're going to march through the suburbs because we want to call out the, the legislators who don't support progressive policies to hold legislators accountable. What does that mean? Uh, speaking of not being held accountable, last night, Another night of rioting in the capital of the state, Madison, that was pretty much allowed to go on. Governor Evers doesn't appear to be saying too much about it, despite the fact that it is happening literally on his doorstep. The mayor of Madison doesn't appear to be inclined to do much, if anything, to stop it. I mean, if you haven't been following the story, I mean, here's the way the newspaper accounts describe what happened in Madison. Let me, this is the Journal Sentinel of all places. The city's most popular business district looked like a war zone Tuesday morning following looting and destruction by a group of people who broke off from a mostly peaceful protest to stomp out car windows, light Molotov cocktails, loot, and a Molotov cocktail is, of course, a, a firebomb, loot stores, and beat two men with a crowbar. Police left the crowd alone until about 1 a.m. when looting and concentrated violence began. Madison Police Chief Vic Wall said one person fired a gun into the air during the mayhem. At that point, the officers used tear gas to break up the crowd. It was the third straight night of peaceful protest during the day and destruction and violence at night. The iconic forward statue that sits at the west of the Capitol steps was covered in red paint. On the State Veterans Museum, someone painted, Where is our museum? Do you hear us now? The Capitol itself was vandalized with spray paint, and nearly every step and sidewalk on its west side was painted with Black Lives Matter. I can't breathe and other uh, pleas. The group, but groups not associated with the daytime protesters have continued to destroy State Street, leaving nearly every building spray painted and smashed. Um... Tuesday morning, around 5 a.m., a couple of business owners were already cleaning up for the third day in a row. One man who was sweeping a sidewalk in the 400 block of State Street and did not want to be named was angry with city leaders for what he characterized as allowing the destruction to continue night after night. He questioned why a curfew was imposed if police aren't enforcing this. The mayor of course, says, if you are angry about property damage, damage, be more angry about the unjustified deaths of black people. Property can be repaired. We can't bring people back to life. More than 75 businesses on State Street were vandalized over the weekend while looting and destruction also hit stores on the east and west side of Madison. An owner of a luxury auto dealer said six vehicles worth more than $200,000, were stolen on Sunday. Two malls on either side of the city were broken into. Two Target stores were looted, among other stores that were robbed, while protests downtown were leading to groups committing violence and destruction. The, the story goes on and on and, and on, but you get the idea of what was going on in Madison. And, of course, it extended to the suburbs. Sun Prairie Police arrested two people from Madison who had broken into a Target store in Sun Prairie. Looters also made off with merchandise from the Fontana Sports Store in downtown Madison. Protesters threw rocks and other items at police officers, striking one in the face and um, injuring others. 
at Gruno's Diamonds, which sits in a complex behind West Town Mall. A sign read, all merchandise has been removed from the premises. So in other words, if you're coming in here to loot, there's nothing here that you can steal. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it fair to criticize authorities for allowing this to go on? Now, you, you have a tale of a couple different cities. You have some cities across the country where there was widespread looting early. And finally, the authorities have decided to say enough is enough, and they have gotten a handle on it. Minneapolis was nowhere near as bad yesterday as it had been the days before that. You have other communities where the protests have been largely peaceful, not exclusively, but largely peaceful. And Milwaukee would be in that category. And then you have places like Madison, where night after night, it appears to be nothing short of anarchy. And it appears that the authorities, the people responsible for controlling behavior, simply decide that they're going to look the other way. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are a business owner in Madison... If you're a taxpayer in Madison, and to the extent all of us pay taxes to help, I don't know, support the, the capital, and we're going to be on the hook for cleaning up all the mess that was made, do we have a right to expect the authorities, even though it is the People's Republic of Madison, to say, look, we're going to start protecting these businesses? And night after night of vandalism and destruction and looting and arson is not going to be tolerated. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What's going on in Madison? Where is the governor on this? Where is the mayor? Well, you understand the mayor says, well, it's just property damage. You know, property can always be repaired. Tell that to all the businesses who are having their windows busted out night after night by a spinoff of the protesters. As I said yesterday, I'm not against peaceful protest at all, and I think, you know, lots of the protesters, the folks that were out in Waukesha yesterday, deserve credit. In general, the protests in Milwaukee, I think, have been peaceful. What is going on in Madison, though, night after night after night, is a completely different story, and how long should civilian authorities allow it to go on? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I just I, I am wondering how long the governor of the state of Wisconsin is going to allow the type of violent unrest that has been going on in Madison under his very nose night after night to, to go on. Now, I think there's a lot of protesters across the country and in this state that have behaved in an incredibly responsible fashion. You saw protests in Waukesha yesterday, which were by and large extremely peaceful. The protests in Milwaukee have, with a few exceptions, particularly the first night, they have been largely, they have been largely peaceful. But what has been going on in Madison is nothing short of absolute Anarchy. Let's say eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And for the life of me, I, I do not understand how authorities in Madison, starting with the governor and going on down, can simply allow this to happen night after night after night. Even in Minneapolis, which was the epicenter of all this. I mean, last night finally 
was relatively calm because they had a huge police and National Guard presence on the street, and they did not tolerate the type of behavior that Madison, if not I, well, Madison tolerates, and to the extent that the police do very little to stop it, it's almost like they're encouraging it. Um, Jeff, looting is not protesting. It's opportunistic theft. It's the mob mentality. Hey, I can get that new TV on the back of peaceful protest. Um Yes, Jeff, the problem in Madison is there is a lack of authority by the mayor. The businesses are taxpayers, both personal and business, and they deserve the same rights for protection as personal taxpayers. To overlook the vandalism and damage is against the law and should be enforced. However, the mayor is completely overlooking overlooking law and saying that that's pretty much um, okay. Jeff, there's a big difference between the peaceful, respectful protesters in the majority and the select small groups of opportunity who create mayhem, to which I say, you know, amen. I really think instigators are from elsewhere, organized in some manner, and maybe targeting particular cities on particular nights. Um, okay, you know, you know, maybe, maybe so. In Madison, though, it's way past overdue to get tough and intercept and arrest and prosecute the vandals and the looters wherever they are and wherever they end up coming from. Jeff, our son is a police officer in Waukesha County. He can't serve his community right now because he's up in Madison with the National Guard. Failure in controlling the chaos starts at the mayor, the police chiefs, and the governor's doorstep. Um, let's see. Um, dot, 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 dot. Uh, Jeff, are Madison authorities looking aside because the percentage of vandals uh, because of the racial makeup or the per- percentage of vandals, I, I don't know. I just see, and I don't, I don't care one way or, or the other. You know what the racial makeup of the vandals are. I mean, I, it's just because you see the vandalism crosses all color lines. There, there's no question about that. But how can you allow it to go on? And I mean, I, how can you, when you have a business owner? Okay, one night, I, I understand. On Saturday night, the story was they were overwhelmed. That that's what. That's what the mayor and the police chief said. We were overwhelmed. The crowd outnumbered us. We didn't want to escalate this, and we didn't think we had the resources to keep it under control. That's what they said Saturday night. Okay, well, then what's the excuse Sunday night? What's the excuse Monday night? And how do you look at business owners who've, you know, taxpayers, all they're trying to do, especially as we try to crawl out from under the, the pandemic and the shutdowns and things, night after night after night, you, you come you come in the morning and then you find that, hey, the, the windows of the store have been broken out, my store has been looted, etc. That's not protest. It is opportunistic. It is criminals. And you cannot allow that to go on. I guess it's just frustrating that, again, the mayor and the governor are allowing this. Where is Tony Evers on all this? Where is Tony Evers talking about, hey, we're, we're going to have a huge National Guard presence. We are not going to tolerate violence. We're not going to tolerate vandalism. Um, hey, if nothing else, you're violating all the social distancing concerns as well, which is way down the scale of things you would hope. But all right, let, let's go out and let's say to these protesters, yes, you can protest, but now we've got a curfew in place. The curfew says whatever it is, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, you've got to be off the streets, and we are going to enforce it. We're not going to sit around and wait until 1 o'clock in the morning 
when all of a sudden everything starts to turn violent, and then we're just going to kind of sit back and go, oh my gosh, the things have turned violent. What a surprise. Maybe you need to be more aggressive, and if it means you need more National Guard troops on the streets, put more National Guard troops on the streets. But it is the state capital of Wisconsin. You cannot allow the anarchists to take over, and yet that is precisely what is happening. All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Bob Euchre calls another Brewers classic. We turned the Wayback Machine to 2011, the Brewers' first division championship since 1982. Tune in tomorrow at 6 as the crew tries to clinch a postseason berth. That's tomorrow at 6. We're one week closer to live Brewers baseball. Brewers Classic is sponsored by your local carrier dealer, American Family Insurance, Biofuels Association, Singer's Famous Sausage, Engman Taylor, and Sartori Cheese. All right, here's an interesting uh, text. Jeff, Governor Evers had no problem closing the state and addressing the state daily about how we were all doomed if we left the house. The state is being ripped crushed and burned to the ground and he's nowhere to be found now that is an interesting point that on a, on a daily basis for week after week at 1:30 or so the governor held a, a regular news conference where he expressed you know the outrage about you know people that wouldn't wouldn't pay attention to the stay-at-home orders and all those type of things um, on occasion he used that to denounce and express his outrage at the decision by the majority of the state supreme court to strike down safer at home and, and you know where where is the governor talking about what is going on particularly right under his nose in Madison. Like I say, there have been other protests that by and large, by and large, have been peaceful, not what is going on in Madison. And are we hearing the governor on a daily basis talking about that? Are we hearing the governor say, look, you know, if this destruction cannot go on, we're going to have a huge presence of the National Guard, we're going to be bringing in police, whatever, but we are not going to tolerate it. Are you hearing that? Well, no, you're you're not. Let's see. Um, I have a text here. Jeff, it's from somebody who's been. uh, Jeff, I have 30 years of law enforcement experience. I see none of the crowd control techniques being used that I learned in my career. I also don't see a lot of the new non-lethal technology being used. Some of that technology developed after the 1960s riot. Are the police that outnumbered? Or are they reluctant to use the technology? I do not know the answer to that. I I simply, you know, um, don't. Jeff, the police cannot be everywhere. The only way to stop this is to have a hard and enforced curfew, declaration of martial law, and authorization of lethal force. I don't see that happening. Well, No, I don't think you need martial law. I, I don't think you certainly need lethal force. You just need what, for example, they did in Minneapolis yesterday. You had a huge police presence. You said enough is enough. You don't have a mayor saying, well, it's, it's just property. You know, what, what the heck? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. These the stories out of, of Madison are just absolutely chilling disappointing and amazing that they are allowed to occur. Uh, One of the the TV stations out there is reporting, Madison police say two people were trying to stop property damage and looting on State Street. 
They suffered significant injuries after being beaten by a group of people. The two men had participated in the peaceful protest earlier in the night and reportedly saw a woman looting near the area of West Gorham and North Henry Street around 1.45 in the morning. They tried to stop her. That's when police say several other looters attacked them, beating them with two-by-fours. <laughs> it is, this, is, this is the state capital. And it is like Lord of the Flies. So it's 1.45 in the morning. You have a couple protesters who are apparently on their way home, and, and they see the looters. They try to stop this lady who's looting, and the mob turns on them and beat them with two-by-fours. One of the men had his phone stolen, needed 12 stitches to his face. The other man uh, suffered multiple broken bones. I mean, seriously, um, here's the deal, uh, and it just doesn't go on. Television crew attacked by looter on State Street. A television news crew was attacked while on the air early Tuesday morning. An NBC 15 reporter and photojournalist were reporting on the violence and looting that took place along State Street. Police said the incident happened. There were, uh, let's see, according to the incident, the photojournalist was filming a man going through items that had been looted from a 7-Eleven when he began throwing stuff at the cameraman. Apparently, uh, the guy grabbed the victim from behind and aggressively shook him and his camera. The guy fled um, on a bike. I mean, it's just for people who think that this is all about, you know, protest and, and complaining about the legitimate the legitimate objection and the legitimate uproar that's occurred from you know what happened in Minneapolis you know eight days ago you, you got to understand that's not what is going on now particularly in the People's Republic of Madison it is anarchy and it appears that both the governor and the mayor and the police chief have lost control of the streets and the question is going to become how how long is that going to be tolerated. Okay, one of the tactics that mayors all across the state and all across the country have been using is in order to require or encourage crowds to disperse, they have imposed curfews. We, we have, for example, a curfew in Milwaukee. There was one in Racine. There was one in Kenosha. There was one in Madison. But by and large, those curfews are not enforced. And that's pretty much, that is not unique to Wisconsin. I mean, there's one story after another about how the mayors put in curfews. They say, okay, everybody's got to be off the street by 8 o'clock or everybody's got to be off the street by 9 o'clock or, or whatever. And yet, that, that doesn't happen. I mean, last night, for example, I was watching the 10 o'clock news on, on TV, and there, there's a curfew. And yet nobody's paying attention to the curfew. And there were large crowds on the streets of Milwaukee, I think probably till well after 1 o'clock you know, in the morning. Um, some of the stories I'm looking at suggest that there was this march that was peaceful that, that went until just about 3 a.m. as you know, people marched all through the city. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I ask this question seriously. Now, like I say... The, the protests in Milwaukee have been largely peaceful, and that is a very, very good thing. But there has been nobody essentially paying attention to the curfews. So my question is this. If we're not going to enforce the curfews, if we're not serious about that, should we just skip it? I mean, what's, what's the purpose 
of saying, okay, there is a curfew, you know, nobody on the streets after 9 o'clock at night, if in fact then 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock rolls around, and you still got large numbers of people that are out there, uh, again, wandering the, the streets. Doesn't it make the system, doesn't it make the mayor, doesn't it make law enforcement kind of look, well, impotent if, we're told you can't be out on the street after 10 o'clock or whatever that time is, and then nobody does anything to try to clear the streets. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would we perhaps be better off in simply saying, okay, we're, we're, we're not going to even fool around with curfews. I mean, that's we're going to encourage people to behave in a lawful fashion. We are going to arrest people if they cross the line, but... At, is, is there any point in having a curfew if you're not going to enforce it? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Texter makes an interesting point. It says, remember when the governor went on television after the Supreme Court decision on Safer at Home and said Wisconsin was going to become the wild, wild west? Well, it, it didn't, but it looks like maybe that is happening now. Yeah, Maybe the governor was more prophetic than some of us thought. Um, yeah, I, I guess here, here's my, my point of all this. The One of the things that we have seen is that the protests, particularly in Wisconsin, largely largely peaceful during the day and into the early evening. And what happens is the character of the protests change, and it stops being protest, and it starts being, again, the the anarchy. And and I don't know if that's because you have, again, the criminal element. And, and yes, if you are a looter and you're a robber and you're the people that took those two-by-fours and were attacking those people in Madison last night, yes, you, you are a criminal, yes, you are a thug. It's if it's those people that maybe they come out and, and look, and I'm fully willing to accept the idea that you have a, a a significant yet still statistically small group of people who are those opportunists who are using the legitimate protest as an opportunity to uh, again behave in these incredibly antisocial fashions. But but if if we accept the fact that this happens as the evening goes on, doesn't it make even more sense? to try to say we're going to enforce the curfews, to say, all right, look, this is this is the deal. It's 8 o'clock or it's 9 o'clock or it's 10 o'clock. It's whatever it is. And what what we're going to do is we're going to expect that the, the law and these orders are, are going to be followed, and we need to clear off the streets. Because if you just let large groups of people hang out till whatever, till 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning, you know you know, nothing good is going to go on. All right, Jeff, the curfew argument is similar to safer in home in that it can't be enforced. The only way curfews can be enforced is if we increase, increase police presence. Doing so, of course, will further instigate some looters, but I believe it's a step that must be taken to regain law and, you know, order. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that that's it. If, if the idea is, if, if you don't want to have a curfew, go with God. Don't have a curfew. I'm okay with that, if that's the way you want to go. Now, I think that you need to have a curfew. I think that's the better way to do it, but I think you also need to 
enforce it. And you need to have the police presence, and you need to say, okay, you know, th- this is fine, but the curfew is in effect now. It's 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or whatever, and, and you need to start dispersing. And I understand most people will disperse. Maybe that will agitate some others, and, and you risk ris- escalating it. But the alternative is just anarchy. Um, Jeff, having a curfew you don't enforce only teaches people they can do whatever they want. Once that lesson is learned, the authorities can't expect people to follow a curfew, and they can't expect other rules to be seen as superfluous as well. Jeff, the rules are only for some of us, and those of us who follow the rules are continually blamed for the ongoing problems in this country. Uh, Jeff, the curfew does seem useless, but it does give authorities an advantage if they do take the option to get aggressive. They can start arresting anyone and everyone to get them off the streets and will have a valid reason. Well, okay, again, I, I don't... I don't think that you should use the curfew as a pretext. Either you decide that we want to keep the streets clear, and so we're putting in the curfew, or you just say, "Here, we're we're just going to give the we're going to give people the keys to the city and let them do whatever they want to do." Um, Jeff, curfews work for the law-abiding, but there is an element out there that doesn't care a bit. Um, maybe they would care if the police crack down hard. Well. I, I, it's, I think the police in many cases, probably Madison in, in specific, are so afraid of being so afraid of being labeled as, as the aggressors that you know they're, they're just they're, their hands are tied. So it's just easier to stand by and, and watch the looting and the assaults and to not get involved. Now, if that's really the community you want to live in, you know, fine. Jeff, I'm a healthy middle-aged man. I was pretty much locked down with Safer at Home for two months, and now I am being curf- and now I am being uh, curfew didn't lock down because of the criminals. At what point do I just stop um, following the rules since apparently you know no one, no one else is? Th- those are all the issues that are out there. And I, look, and I understand this is a difficult thing. And, and I get everybody is trying to do the best they can, and people don't want to escalate the situation. And the idea is, okay, so even though there's a curfew, if people aren't breaking windows, should we let them out on the streets till 3 o'clock in the morning? All right, well, I guess my question then is, if you're going to let people out on the streets till 3 o'clock in the morning, why bother with the curfew in the first place? That's all I'm saying. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, so I, I'm one of these people who is advocating a more aggressive response when it comes to the anarchy, when it comes to the, the looting. I, I just don't think you can stand by night after night, like in the People's Republic of Madison, and allow people to, I don't know, attack other people with two-by-fours and break into buildings and, and loot them. Now, the authorities, including the governor, might, you know, they, at least based on their response so far, they, they don't necessarily agree with me, but I, I think that's the way to go. At that same point in time, the question is, how far do you go? Now, yesterday, President Trump, in a speech given in the Rose Garden and some of his remarks, talked about how he was willing to call out the military and to send the military into, you know, different cities if requested by the governors or perhaps, you know, on on his own, if governors or authorities didn't get control of of some of the violence that was going on, he would be prepared to send in the military. Now, 
New York is another one of these areas. It was really bad in New York. You know, some different cities they got a better. They got they got more of a handle on it. Washington D.C. was better last night. Minneapolis was much better because you finally had this huge police presence. But President Trump talks about sending in the the military. Now he does have the authority to do this. I, I think it. Some legal experts kind of. I mean, question this. But there, there is this thing called the Insurrection Act of 1807, which, as a general rule, the law says that you cannot use the military as a civilian police force. That, that's, that's what the law says. There is an exception to that that allows the law, that allows you to use the military um, to, again, in times of national crisis, to enforce public order. For instance, um, in 1992, President Bush sent the military into Los Angeles to help quell all the rioting that was going on after the Rodney King situation. Now, in that particular situation, President Bush sent in the military at the request of the governor. So it's kind of an open question as to whether or not, if the governor doesn't ask for the military, can the president still send the military in any way? It's sort of an open question. The, during the Kennedy and Johnson administrations, you, you had the military that went into some of the southern states to in, enforce civil rights laws when the governors indicated that they weren't going to do that. So, again, it's sort of a mess as far as the legalities go. But as a general rule, we do not use the military to essentially step into the role of civilian law enforcement. President Trump saying yesterday he's considering doing that. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let, let me be real clear here. I'm a law and order guy, right? I, I think that you, you can't allow the looting and the rioting and that stuff to, to go on. At the same time, I think the president is wrong to start thinking that, hey, we're going to use the military to do this. You, you Governors use the, the National Guard to, to do this. You use the civilian police force. The Army, is, the Army isn't trained, nor is it um, purpose, to prevent people from looting stores who are building, uh, burning buildings and assaulting police. Um, the, the, you know, the, the military is used to fight wars. And, and I guess, you know, since soldiers are trained for combat against a former enemy, uh, against a foreign enemy, as opposed to, you know, riot control, I think bringing in the, the military is a bad idea. I think the risks of mistakes that something could go wrong, I think, is, is very, very high if you have a civilian clash with, like, the, the military. And I think it also, just from an optical standpoint, I think it plays into the, this whole idea that, that some people have that, that Trump is, is a dictator who's been looking for an opportunity to use the military in order to, I, I don't know, cement his, his position of power. And I, I agree that if you, the, the images of, of U.S. troops in various cities I think, you know, it does, it gives you the image of, again, some South American, you know, banana republic where you, you've you got the, the leader who's trying to use the military to, to put down, you know, whatever's going on there. I, I think if a governor 
really feels overwhelmed and makes that request, okay, well, then it's one thing that you consider, but you consider only under limited circumstances. If the governors aren't asking for the U.S. military, I I think even if the president has the authority to do it, I think it would be an incredibly bad idea to do so. You, that, you, you use the National Guard to try to maintain order. You use your local civilian police forces to try to maintain order. Bringing in the military, which again is not trained for civilian law enforcement, has the potential in so many ways to go wrong. And, and again, I'm, I'm this law and order guy, but I think bringing in the U.S. military, sending them into New York, sending them into the streets of Atlanta, sending them into the streets of Chicago, sending them into the streets of Madison. I think what that ends up doing is escalating the situation in in a in a very, very broad fashion. You want to be supportive to the governors. You want to be the law and order president. You want to say that, hey, as, as I think the, the part of the president's message has gotten lost because of some of the tweets that he has sent out. But, I mean, I think, you know, he's, you know, you, you want to make sure, you want to say, look, I, I'm appalled by the killings, and the president has. I'm appalled by the, the death of, you know, the, the man in Minnesota a week ago yesterday. I'm appalled by that. I want to see justice done. But at the same time, I'm not going to stand by and let the cities burn. Um, that's why we need the governors to step up. Dan, uh, you're in Grand March, 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 you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Yeah, I I have no problem with uh, the military going in and helping take care of this civil unrest. If the governors don't want to take care of it, somebody has to step up and get this nonsense to stop. Yes, it's appalling what happened to George Floyd. However, it's just as appalling what these people and rioters and looters are doing to the cities that they quote-unquote live in, and we don't know that all that's true, that they're all from those cities, but it's got to stop. Well, I, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I agree it's got to stop. That, that, that's, not, that's not the point of the discussion. The question is how, how, do, you, how do you stop it? And, uh, again, the, the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force – they are not intended. You know, I understand in emergency situations, and, and we have used the Army before in, in 1992, and they used it in the 60s to try to enforce civil rights laws. But as a general rule, when you have examples of unrest, you, you don't bring in the nation's military. That is not what they are designed for. And I guess at this point in time, I, I continue to believe if you did this, it would be counterproductive. I would much rather see... I don't know, for example, that the governor of one of these states or the mayors of some of these cities to you know, actually come out and say, you know, we, we've got to put a stop to this and, you know, we need more of a National Guard presence. The military, to me, is a last resort, but it only comes into play if local officials say, no, we, we're out, this is out of control, we need help. And local officials aren't saying that at this point in time. Maybe they should, but they're not. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I throw this out there as a tip for some of my colleagues who perhaps work in TV newsrooms across the, the city. 
maybe an interesting second or third day angle on the protests. I, I've, I, I'm going to share with you a, a text I've gotten, but I, I've been receiving over the last couple of days several similar sort of texts. Now, remember er, Eric Bilstadt was just saying, hey, they, they've got, apparently there's another protest that's getting ready to kick off on the south side, etc. So here, here, here's the thing. Uh, Jeff, I'm a Lyft driver. I've picked up dozens of out-of-towners at the train slash bus train station bus depot. You know, downtown they're, they're right next to each other. At the train station bus depot, who are from Chicago, coming up here to quote unquote protest. I end up taking them to the downtown area. I just picked up a group of teenagers from North Chicago. They are going to um, the the protest on, on Oklahoma Avenue. The mayor said no one is coming from out of town. I don't think that's true. Other drivers have said many are being picked up from out of town. Jeff, just two minutes ago, I picked up another group from the train station at the airport who are going to protest on Oklahoma Avenue. Other drivers are picking up people as well. So it, now this does raise an interesting question because... If, if you have, I mean, look, Chicago has, has its own protests. I mean, Chicago has its own riots. Chicago has its own looting that, that is going on. Um, if, if you, if you want to come, if you want to engage in a protest, why, why would you travel from North Chicago on a bus or the train or, or whatever? Why would you come up here to participate in, in the protest? Because, you, you could certainly have your own homegrown protest if, if you wanted to. Well, maybe there's multiple reasons, but to the extent that this is true, my guess is one of the reasons that you would come up is, hey, you know, maybe there's going to be, you know, more opportunities and maybe there's less chance uh, if, if I'm going to be engaged in criminal behavior, if I'm going to be looting and doing this stuff, maybe there, there's not as much chance that I am going to be caught. So I, I just throw this out there. I, I have no, and again, I've heard this from several people who drive uh, Uber, Lyft, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that you know they're picking up a lot of people at the train stations or the bus depots or whatever who are coming up from Chicago to participate in the the protests. And there's nothing illegal about that. Traveling across state lines for the purpose of of looting or engaging in you know uh, destruction and stuff. That, that, again, is that is against the law, and that's actually a federal crime, but it might just be kind of interesting. And, again, I just have these anecdotal reports. might be sort of interesting for, I don't know, one of the TV stations or something to just you know, position a cameraman and a reporter down at the bus depot, for example, and let's, let, let's see if there are people coming in, because I'm certainly hearing, again, from the, the, the ride-sharing drivers that this is... This is, you know, one of their little cottage industries now, which is picking up people coming up from Chicago and taking them over to the protests, which, again, raises that question about why would you be doing that if if you wanted to protest, just stay at home and, and protest in Chicago. Don't you have the right to do that? All right, I, I want to we're going to circle back to some of the, uh, again, issues related to the, the rioting and the civil disobedience. But I I want to I just want to change gears for a couple minutes. This I was talking to somebody last night and the last several months have been incredibly stressful for everybody. I mean, it seems like 
up until the the civil disobedience, the riots, etc., kicked off last week, it, it seems like on a daily basis all we were talking about is variations of coronavirus. When are we going to open up? Should we open up, etc.? Now that's all been put on on the back burner, and and even some of the elected officials, the Tom Barretts and the Tony Evers of the world, who wanted to keep everything shut down, I think now even they're recognizing that well, okay, that that ship has now sailed and. If we have thousands and thousands of people who are going to go out and engage in marches and things like that, and they're not going to social distance, and many of them aren't going to wear masks, it's kind of tough to put that genie back in in the bottle. And, and that's now, I think we're past the idea of the the shutdowns. And you know, we can argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's definitely a bad thing that what it took to get us past the shutdowns was you know the incident in in Minneapolis. But let's face it, it has been an incredibly stressful time for everybody some people more stressful than others you know governor evers used to say well we're all in the the same boat my response was no we're we're not some people are in we're all in the same swimming pool but some people are in the deep end you know maybe you maybe you got sick yourself maybe you're one of the small number of people overall that got sick maybe you're one of the maybe you you had a family member who who got sick um Maybe you were one of the half a million plus people who ended up losing their their job or getting laid off and not knowing where you know the, the rent is going to come from. So, or maybe you're just somebody who, uh, again, whom for whom this was this was an inconvenience, but still a stressful sort of situation, not being able to interact with your kids or your grandkids or not being able to you know see your friends like you wanted to. And, and again, the the fear and the uncertainty of gee, if I go into the local hardware store or I go in to the grocery store? Am I going to run across somebody who's going to give me the disease? So it's been a very, very stressful time for everybody, no matter where where you are. And one of the things that's been really affecting people, and a matter of fact, I had this conversation over the last couple of days with just a couple of people, and they've been telling me to a person, and these are folks in all sorts of different situations, somebody who lost their job and doesn't think they're going to be able to get it back, somebody else for whom, like I say, this is just an inconvenience, but nevertheless a stressful situation. Almost everybody, matter of fact, everybody that I have talked to has said that what's been going on for the last couple months, starting with coronavirus and now carrying over into the the, the civil disobedience that we see breaking out all across the, the country, they said, you know, it's it's just messing up people's sleep. Almost everybody that I've talked to has told me, you know, they're they're not sleeping as well. Um, they're waking up in the middle of the night. Their mind is racing. Oh my gosh! I just I've got these images of people that are getting sick, or now there's images of boy, you know, they're destroying great American cities. Um, insomnia inability to get restful sleep, later bedtimes. Um, there's a story in the um, Wall Street Journal today about how it's even provoking in some people like weird dreams, <laughs> just just b- bizarre dreams, um, and which is kind of funny because in my situation, I, I sleep just fine. I sleep just fine, but I do admit I, I've had some, you know, and I, I have a series of recurring dreams, but I, I, I've had... I've had weird dreams lately, just kind of bizarre sort of dreams, that ones that even wake up and go, man, where did that come from? I'm going to kind of root around deep in my psyche and figure out what that one was all about. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, have the last couple months screwed up your sleep habits? Are, are you sleeping less well? 
do you find, uh, again, it's a more fitful sleep? Are you having trouble getting to sleep? Are you waking up in the middle of the night, the weird dreams, the late bedtimes? You know, has been what's been going on in the world and in your life over the course of the last couple months? Ha- has it messed up your, your sleep? And are you doing anything about it? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us again, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, that's one of the, I think, untold impacts of, of what's been going on in the last couple months. I think it's really disrupted the sleep patterns of a lot of us. Are you in that category? We discuss in just a moment. Again, if you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Have world events over the course of the last couple months have they have they messed up your your sleep? Big story in the Wall Street Journal talking about how sleep really has changed during the pandemic and now. In the aftermath of the last week with all the the riots and the civil disobedience and the unrest that's there, schedules being upended, stress rising, uh, many, many people struggling to get back on track. And I I think, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult. I think this is going to be one of the untold stories from the pandemic and then now that the latest thing with all the unrest i think people are just stressed out it's sort of funny because i always my advice to my wife and i would never thought these words would be coming out of my mouth but it would be kind of like just watch the hallmark channel you know just you you gotta you gotta turn off the news because in in the evening if you're going to spend a couple hours before you're going to bed watching okay the the news which is reporting but also let let's be be honest about this i mean some of the stuff is very very dramatic whether it's the the rioting recently or on a nightly basis oh this is coronavirus this is where it is and look these are the hospitals and these are the number of people that died fine and if all you're going to be doing for a couple hours before you're going to bed after a day of digesting all of that if what you're going to be focusing on right before you try to go to sleep is okay all, all the, these people that have gotten sick and we don't know what the answer is going to be and now it's like okay we've got all these people who have gotten sick and now you've got all this destruction that is going on and you've got the civil unrest and all if you're trying to do that man i'm telling you it's 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 tough um jeff sleep sleep covid and riots did murder sleep (laughs) well i think that uh that's with an allusion to shakespeare but um yes jeff i'm with you it's hard to get a good six to seven hours when you're trying to keep up with a 24 7 news cycle and it's hard to have sweet dreams when the last news you see at night is bad um expressly expressly that that um yeah that you have people that are are there constantly you know looking at the the bad stuff jeff for us it's been social media being curious about what's going on with the riots where the protesters are that's what keeps us up social media trying to stay 
updated. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, we we live in this 24-7 cycle. Jeff, fortunately, no sleep problems for me, but my lady has been very stressed and not sleeping well and having weird dreams. So she's insisting it's a totally news-free environment when we're together so she can escape from all the bad drama. I mean, there is an element of that that ends up going on. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, I'm downing K-Cups coffee like a true champ today because <laughs> I have been sleeping poorly the last the last few days because I do think that I, I don't sleep as well when there's all this tension going on. Yeah, and it's just, you know, and it, it's just because... It, it, you just you you follow it. You obsess with the news. You see all this stuff going on. It's just not a relaxing kind of a healthy environment with all the worry and the stress that's out there. Yeah, and I am exercising and eating right and all those things, but but that's probably not enough. So I might just like read a book or something half hour before I get to try to try and take my mind off this. Hallmark Channel, Jeff. That's the answer. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Hallmark Channel. You know, you you, you know everything's going to have a happy ending. Uh, this is from Jill. She says, Jeff, I woke up several times last night from nightmares, very fitful sleep. I'm very, very tired today. And I think that there's a lot of people that that's been the situation. It's not just from last night or two nights ago. It's been um, the whole situation of they're, they're like that constantly. And it wears on you after a while. No question about it. Um, I, I guess bottom line is, I, I think, again, as, as we look back, once we get through the, the pandemic and once we get through the civil unrest and all those things, I, I think we're going to look back and you're going to see all sorts of consequences from this and all sorts of changes to human behavior. And, of course, there, there's going to be the obvious ones, the people who who got sick as a result of COVID-19, the people who lost their jobs and were put into financial distress as a result of the, the shutdowns or the change in consumer business. But I think that there's also going to be a huge impact on a lot of the rest of us, you know, um, who have seen our, our habits change in, in large fashions or, or maybe just in small ways and, and maybe change forever. And I think the whole idea of sleep is definitely one of them. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, I, I don't know. Remember after, you know, Governor Evers uh, announced that once his safer at home order was struck down, and one of our texters made this point earlier in the show, that, that Governor Evers talked about, hey, this is just going to be the wild, wild west, you know, and, and of course that, that didn't turn out to be the, the case. I think most people behaved in a responsible sort of fashion. Well, now that you have, you know, people taking to the streets in large numbers, n- now th- this really is kind of the wild, wild west in so many different ways, shapes, or forms, but I guess the question is going to be, now that you know people have decided to completely ignore at least large groups of protesters have decided to completely ignore the safer at home edicts and the don't assemble in large groups edicts and things like that you know what what is the effect of this going to be now there were some people who predicted incorrectly that after the election last April there was going to be this huge spike in you know covid cases and the truth is that just didn't happen now, n- n- Almost all the reputable studies found no link. There was one that tried to draw a little bit, but I think most people think that that's kind of sort of junk science. But but there was no huge spike in COVID cases 
after the April 7th election, in part because I think people were, were smart. I think the authorities were ready. I think the poll workers were ready. It, it just didn't come to pass. You didn't have those bad numbers, which, which was good. Now, I have no idea what what the numbers are going to be like look like two weeks ago two two weeks from now when you see all sorts of people particularly individuals in, in some of the the areas that have been hardest hit by covid nineteen uh, let, let's face it I mean what about forty percent of the cases statewide come from Milwaukee County you've got all these protests that are in the city of Milwaukee uh, you don't have any social distancing you got some people wearing masks but a lot of people aren't and people are screaming and coming into close contact with each other I mean I was relatively confident that the election was not going to lead to a huge spike in numbers because I think people were kind of paying attention and and doing the things they need to do. I have no confidence at all that those numbers aren't going to spike dramatically in a couple weeks because my guess is you are going to have some of those mass spreader sort of situations, um, which is, uh, again, I don't know what the end result of this is going to be other than to say that the idea of trying to encourage safer at home and stay out of large groups, it seems seems that that's now pretty much out the window because you've got large groups of people who are just completely and totally ignoring that. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The... Um, it's as somebody who reads a lot of stuff online and follows a lot of newspapers it, it, it one of the things right or wrong correct or incorrect is the the coverage of of president trump over the years has been pretty much relentlessly negative and, and i understand he he brings some of that on himself but you know if if you read these stories in places like the new york times and the washington post or whatever you you would get the idea that if president trump gave every americans a uh, hundred dollar bill he would be criticized for not making it five twenties or ten tens so he gave him a hundred dollar bill and, and so i i understand how th- that that probably he kind of wears on you after a while. And today is no different. The, the coverage of, of President Trump and his response to the, the various examples of the, the rioting across the country and his speech about saying he was going to talk about, you know, looking at bringing out the military has been just relentlessly negative. I mean, there's columns about, oh, this is Trump becoming a dictator and this is what he always wanted and he's sowing this chaos, et cetera, et cetera. It just relentlessly negative. And, and again, yeah, I, I understand where some of this comes from, and I, I do think, as I have said on this program over the last couple of days, and I know maybe you don't agree with me on it, I think some of the president's response has been ill-considered. I think the, the, the tweets, for example, where you use the phrase, you know, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, I don't find that to be helpful. Now, now th- does that mean that you wouldn't be having the riots that you have going on across the country? No, not necessarily, not, not at all. But but again, I just I don't think that's that's helpful. I think what you need to do is I think at a time like this, you need to have our elected officials that are, I think, developing a plan and, and not throwing gasoline onto a particular fire. At the same time, though, one of the things that's developing is there is I mean, President Trump is trying to position himself as being the quote unquote law and order president. Now, this is, in some respects, reminiscent, and, and I am 
old enough, barely, to remember 1968. And if you think back in our country's history, 1968 was a time of, of turmoil. You had Lyndon Johnson, who was the President of the United States. You had the war in Vietnam, which had divided this country well, had divided this country in ways that's almost impossible to describe if you didn't live through that era. You had the Democratic National Convention in Chicago in 1968, which was you know, torn apart with protesters. You had the you had the protesters who were out in the streets complaining about you know the war in Vietnam. You had the other people who were inside the convention hall complaining about the protesters. It, it was a a time of of really. I don't want to say unprecedented turmoil. We had the Civil War, so I understand that. But it was a time of huge turmoil. And one of the things that Richard Nixon did is he took advantage of that. He ran, in part, as the law and order candidate. He was going to be the guy that restored you know, the, the country. And if you elected, the Democrat that was running against him was the, uh, Hubert Humphrey from Minnesota. And, you know, Humphrey you know, wouldn't be able to control this. So Nixon ran as the law and order candidate, and he ended up winning. Now, th- that's not the law and order issue isn't the sole reason that he ended up winning, but it definitely was a factor. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, if you read a lot of the mainstream media, they portray President Trump as being the, the agitator, the guy who has made situations worse. President Trump is, I think, trying to play to, well, the Nixon phrase was the silent majority. You know, the people out there who uh, don't don't support the, the rioting, don't support the lawlessness, Nixon made a, a huge play for those people in 1968, and it, it, it got him his majority. It got him the election. That issue, together with a couple others as well, including fatigue with you know the Johnson administration and things like that. All right, so the question becomes, here in 2020, you know, moving into the political season, is it possible that we could see a replay of 1968? President Trump is already positioning himself as the quote-unquote law and order candidate. He's the guy saying, I'm willing to call out the military. We can't have the, the cities of this country destroyed. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is it possible in some sort of weird way from an electoral perspective, that the the unrest that is going on now might actually be something that makes it more likely that President Trump is reelected. Now, one of the big differences between now and 1968, of course, is in 1968, R- Richard Nixon was not the president. Richard Nixon was running to be the president, so he's saying, "Hey, elect me. I can solve this problem that's going on." President Trump is, of course, the president while the problem is going on. But look into your crystal ball. Is it possible in some sort of weird way that all this this civil unrest that is going on, could that be a political plus for the president? Now, certainly for society, it's not a plus, but could it be a political plus for the president? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, the, the Trump campaign has been 
I, I think right now they're, they're trailing in the polls. And I understand people; some people don't believe the polls, but that, that's all well and good. But the polls are what the polls are, and the polls show pretty much across the board that the president is trailing, including in a number of the key states that he's got to he's got to win in order to get reelected. The reelection strategy, up until a couple months ago, was going to be, "Hey, look, we, we've got great prosperity." You know, look, look at what's going on. We've got record employment. Well, COVID-19 came around and completely, you know, kicked that share out from under people because now you have massive unemployment. You have people who are wondering, you know, what the future is going to look like. And even the rosiest, the rosiest projections say that it's going to be, you know, a few years before, you know, the, the country starts coming back. So that, hey, look, I'm the president. I presided over this great economy. That's now out the window. So you've got to you got to morph that. You you've got to maybe make the argument that I presided past tense over a great economy, and I'm more likely than Joe Biden to be able to get it back. And you can make that argument, but that's not the same as hey, look at all that's happened over the course of the last four years. Look at how great you know, how great you're doing. So that issue is off the table. Then you've got the whole issue of of coronavirus and the pandemic that we've been dealing with. And again, I, I think w- whether it's it's fair to blame the president or, or not. I mean, some people say, oh, you should have taken this more seriously sooner. I, I don't know if that's fair or not, but that, that's certainly out there. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to, you know, buy into the notion that there was more that the president could have done. And he certainly hasn't helped himself in some regard with, you know, some of the things that he's been touting and, and, and all that. So you, you've got the, the coronavirus issue. And, you know, you've got the economy that's been pulled out from under the president as a campaign issue. Um, again, other than you're going to try to argue that I'm better equipped to bring the economy back than Joe Biden, which you know is a case that maybe you can make. But still, it's much tougher than, hey, this is great. You know, it's happy times. Now, on top of this, you, you have this issue of unrest, which is dividing Americans. There are, I think, Everybody, anybody of conscience, looks at what happened in Minneapolis a week ago Monday and recognizes this was this was wrong. I, I think everybody recognizes that, or at least if, if you don't, you've got a real problem, and you want to see that justice is done. But then the question becomes, you know, how do you feel about the people that are taking to the streets and engaging in this all the destruction? And it's clear President Trump is drawing his line in the sand and saying, I want to be the, the quote-unquote law and order guy. Now, if you read the mainstream media, they'll suggest that President Trump, far from being law and order, is actually making matters worse. All right, uh, here's some text. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I doubt this matters. I think the camps are are set. I don't think anything's going to change people's um, mind. Jeff, the president is right. This has to stop. All these businesses have been hurt by the virus, and now this. The people need to be locked up. Um, okay, I mean, that's... That, that's all well and good. Is this going to be an election issue? Jeff, in some strange way, I think, yes, this does help him. I believe Trump will win again, not necessarily because of all the chaos, but because Biden has done nothing to assert himself. Jeff, this does seem like he's studying Nixon's 1968 election playbook, and it just might work for him by appealing to law and order Americans who have no respect for those who pander to lawless, quote-unquote, thugs that are making neighborhoods unsafe and destroying our cities. 
Um, Jeff, I think that theory that this could be 1968 all over again is very possible. And as somebody who is not a supporter of the president, it scares me to death. Jeff, um, I'm open to discussion on this, but I think it is entirely different than 1968. Well, again, the, the big difference between now and 1968 was the fact that Richard Nixon was the, the outsider who was running and saying, elect me, and I, I can do better than the guy that's in office now. I can get control of this. I've got the secret plan to you know get out of the war in Vietnam, and I, I'm also... I'm, I'm going to crack down on all this unrest that's destroying the country. you know. But he was the outsider. It was easier to say that. When you're the guy that has the job and all this stuff is, is going on, it, it's tougher to make that claim. But I, I, think, I think there is an element of this to it. Now, look, I, I don't know how long the unrest, quote, what I'm calling the unrest, is going to, to go on. I mean, are we going to spend the entire summer with like every night in Madison, you have protesters that go out and they you know, they break windows and they steal stuff, and then the next day the store owners come back and they replace the windows and they replace the stuff, and then the protesters or the rioters or the looters break in and steal the stuff the next day. At some point in time, it, it's going to get old. At some point in time, even the governor and the mayor of Madison, for example, are, are going to have to say, "Okay, enough is enough," and, and we're going to we're going to stop this. Or at least you would think that they would wake up and they would say that you have to stop this, and then go ahead and do it so I, I don't know how long this is going to play out but clearly you're seeing a pivot from the trump administration moving away from the economy moving away from the response to covid19 and now talking about law and order will it benefit him a little bit i think it will will it benefit him enough to move the needle to change the election that's an open question. But you are definitely going to be seeing more and more of this moving forward. And the, the, long, the worse the violence gets and the longer it goes on, my guess is the more you're going to see President Trump, uh, again, running on the law and order issue. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Bob Euchre calls another Brewers classic. We turn the Wayback Machine to 2011, the Brewers' first division championship since 1982. Tune in tomorrow at 6 as the Brewers try to clinch a postseason berth. By the way, I know how it turns out. It's pretty good. That's tomorrow night at 6. We're one week closer to live Brewers baseball. Brewers Classic is sponsored by your local carrier dealer, American Family Insurance, Biofuels Association, Singer's Famous Sausage, Engman Taylor, and Sartori Cheese. Yeah, the, the line says we're, we're one week closer to baseball. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about this a couple times. It's... We, we really there is this kind of if you're a sports fan and I look and I I understand that sports are a distraction but we 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 could certainly use some nice distractions here I am a huge baseball fan I am resigned to the fact that there's not going to be games at Miller Park this year where fans can attend or at least fans can attend in any sort of numbers that's just sort of the reality of the the pandemic world at the same time nothing would make me happier then to to have to be able to come you know come home from work in the evening and you know turn on the radio and there's Bob Euchre and he's calling you know a Brewers game and I I frankly I mean I I don't care whether it's an 81 game season or it's a 100 game season or it's a 50 game season it doesn't really matter to me I, I think it would be a a great distraction I also think that it's important 
for the future of a sport that I really love, I think it's it's important not to let a season go by. Um, if if in fact they don't play baseball this year, I think people kind of get out of the habit and uh, of that, and I think it's going to be tough to get fans back. Just like it was tough in the mid '90s, you know, when when they lost people, you know, and fans after a strike. And if it turns out that the reason why they can't play games this year is not because of the pandemic, but rather because the players and the owners can't agree on on how much money that the players are going to get. I, I think that's something that's not going to resonate well with the general population. I mean, seriously, it is tough, regardless of who you want to blame, it's tough to say, gee, you, you've got a baseball player who's, whining because he's only going to make 10 million this year instead of 17 million and he's whining it's it's tough to have that and 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 he's got to quote unquote put his life on the line by by going back to work and playing in a very controlled setting with some of the best medical professionals surrounding him in the world it's tough to feel sorry for that guy when you're the, the person that's been driving the truck for the last several months you know delivering food to the different grocery stores or you're the person who's the cashier at the the local grocery store that you know that's dealing with people on a, on a regular basis it's tough to be too sympathetic to that now the the owners and the players are are way apart on on the issue of money the the owners and we've talked about this before the owners say look look here's the deal we originally agreed to pay the players a prorated salary you pay half play half the season we'll pay you half your salary but that was based on the assumption that we'd have our, our normal revenue sources that was based on the assumption that we'd have we'd be selling tickets and we'd have fans in the stands if you don't let us do that we we lose 40 percent of our revenue and and we can't we, we can't pay you your full prorated salaries since we're having a lot less money coming in. The players don't seem to want to accept that. So the players, their proposal over the weekend was, here, you know, pay us, pay us, you know, a prorated salary for every game we play, and let's play 100-plus games, which is just a complete and total non-starter. The owners have now come back and said, okay, well, we'll pay you prorated salaries, but we're only going to play 50 games. And, and then th- that's fine. But what I think the owners are saying is that they have decided how much money they are willing to spend in players' salaries. And I think they're saying to the players, you, you just decide how to, to, to divvy this up, whether it's you know 50 games um, and we'll pay you whatever your average per-game per salary would be or whether it's some sort of revenue-sharing thing or whatever you want. But the owners have pretty much, I think, made it clear this is how much money we are willing to spend. Players, you now have to decide if you're willing to come back and take this money. If they don't, well, I, I think it's going to be very, very bad for the sport because, again, the NFL is getting ready to start soon. Basketball is going to be back in July. There's going to be all sorts of different things and different distractions. People fall out of the habit, and once you fall out of a habit, it's tough to get back into it. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Warmest day of the year. Keep it tuned to WTMJ all afternoon and into the early evening. Again, there's the possibility for some extreme weather 
severe weather, and we'll continue to keep you posted on this. The, the, the unrest that is going on and has been going on over the, the last week, it, 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 of course, it, it, is, it is morphed. I mean, it started off as outrage over the, the, the death of the man in Minneapolis at the hands of the police officer, and completely and totally appropriate. And you had a lot of people who were protesting in the street, and they were arguing, you know, no peace, you know, no justice, no peace, that, that stuff. And I, I get it. Now, of course, the, the police officer has been charged. So this isn't a situation where there's not going to be justice. My guess is the other police officers are on the scene are probably going to be charged with a crime. Everybody's been fired. So it's not like this particular case isn't getting attention, and it's not like people and authorities aren't taking action. Now, of course, this has blossomed into a much broader discussion of police-community relations. There, there's people in Madison who... Um, there, there was. I was looking at you know one of the reports, somebody saying, we, we should just defund the police department. We, we shouldn't have police. Well, I mean, okay, good... Good luck with that. You know, good, good, good luck with with that. If you really want to not have police, or you don't want police coming into certain areas, well, okay, you know, who's going to enforce the law? Then, of course, you just heard the report. You've got Governor Evers, who's been remarkably quiet during during all of this. Uh, he just came out with a a video statement, a video statement where he doesn't necessarily, well, he doesn't really denounce the, the rioting, but he says, look, we, we have to confront society's comfort with racism, and he comes out in support of, a, of an assembly bill which would um, limit the ability of authorities to use force to set all sorts of guidelines. And that's a discussion we'll have at some point in time. But, but again, the, the governor of the state doesn't want to focus on the, the destruction and the rioting. He wants to talk about the institutional racism that he believes led to this. And I think that's a fair discussion to have. Um, it's also a difficult discussion to have because the question becomes, what, what do we do? You know, yesterday I, I posed this question. What, what is the end game of, of the protest? What, what are we trying to accomplish? Give, give, me, give me the result. You want the police officers fired, they're fired. You want the police officers charged, one has been charged, others will probably be charged. What is the end game? Where, where, do, we, where do we go with this? And, and if the concern is institutional racism, etc., how do you bring about change? Because obviously there, there's a lot of people out there that, that feel that you know we don't have a colorblind society and that the opportunities for advancement are much different depending on the color of your skin. I, I bring this up because the, the founder of, of BET, Black Entertainment Television, his name is Bob Johnson, and he's been arguing for years that in order to deal with the institutional racism that exists in this country, and has existed since slavery, what you need to do is you need to start with reparations. And he just, this week, he's been adamant in calling for a payment of 14 T as in trillion dollars in reparations to African Americans. He said, I'm just going to quote part of the story. Part of the context is people have a right to protest when they see injustice. On the other hand, we have to go to the root cause of people's protesting that leads to violence, whether it is agitated violence or just violence because people feel frustrated and bitter. 
To me, he says, the fundamental cause is the economic inequality that African Americans as a whole face in this nation. And unless we move aggressively to solve the problem, the ri- this riot will be the foundation of future riots unless we solve the problem. He said that uh, the government should come up, the taxpayers, should come up with $14 trillion in reparations, and taxpayers should pay for this for two reasons. One is an atonement for 200-plus years of slavery, segregation, Jim Crowism, and the denial of people opportunity rights. But the result of that payment would be to bring Americans equal to white Americans in terms of opportunity, wealth, and income. Instead of looking at it as a payment, look at it as an investment in 40 million African Americans who deserve equal treatment and equal opportunity. Unless white America recognizes the need for reparations to atone for this, the country will always be separate and unequal. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think most of us would acknowledge that we still do not live in a colorblind world. There, there's, there's too much problems with segregation, with racism, with disparate treatment of, of different groups. It, there, there's no question that that is still a part of, of our country, and that is unfortunate. My question to you is, is the answer to take, seven, his number is $17 trillion. Is the answer to take $17 trillion and distribute it to African Americans? And I don't know what the formula he would be talking about, but I, I, I don't know if you have to be a descendant of a slave. I don't think so. Probably, you know, do you give it to children? Do you give it to adults? What, whatever. But giving out money, is that the solution? And is that something that, okay, is, is going to make the problems of racism in this country, you know, go away? Or is that something that you have to do before problems of racism can go away? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Reparations. I mean, is this what we need to do to get past the what's not just what's going on now, but what, what happens on, a, on an unfortunately regular basis wherever there's a situation of, in this case, it's misconduct by police officers. Is reparations the answer? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Frank and Bayview. Frank, you're first. Good afternoon. Jeff, thanks. Again, um, quick comment. Um, I told the screener grew that I think one of the biggest problems we have in the States is we're a young country uh, across the pond in Europe. Um, racism exists but on a different level. They've, those countries, they're older. They've had more time. I think it just boils down to time and the generational thing. And it, it, it'll heal itself. And, and it, won't be, it won't be as big a deal as it is these days, 20, 30 years from now. I just don't see it. The way the world is moving. Well, but of course, you know, we, we you know, people might have said that in, in the 1950s and the 1960s when you had the civil rights law legislation that was passed. And I, I, I have to be honest, I, I think there's just as much anger maybe now as there was, you know, 60 years ago. You're, you're optimistic. You think we, if we just keep on course that this will, we will have a colorblind society in 20 or 30 years? I absolutely, truly believe that. Um, I've, I have teenage kids, and their their mindset and it's the way they look at things it's completely different. Um, I'm only in my 40s, so I can I can still reach that far back. Things are changing; they're changing for the better, and they're changing pretty quick. 
good enough. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The founder of Black Entertainment Television says, look, there's no way that we can have racial harmony in this country until we start with the idea of reparations. His number is $17 trillion, and I, I don't know exactly how he would disperse it or, or whatever. Is that the key? Does, does, does the payment of money to any group of people, does that, does that make up for slavery? Does it get people on equal footing? Does it materially change anything? Does money solve the problem? And I guess... That, that's where I have a problem with the whole reparations thing. Do I understand there's real racism in the world? Yeah, I do. Do I understand that there's problems with equality? I, I do. Just, just taking a bunch of money and giving it to people, though, I don't know that I, I forget, I don't know. I, I don't see how that changes the fundamental dynamics. As a matter of fact, I, th- I think you, in some respects, can make an argument that maybe that makes matters worse. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? I think, well, I, as every other time this comes up, I think it's ludicrous. Number one, well, first of all, $17 trillion, we wouldn't even have a country left anyway. We'd be broke, you know, that aside. I mean, how do you, like you mentioned, I mean, what's your criteria? Where does it end? And the thing is, is, you know, I mean, it's just part of growth. I mean, you have civilizations, you know, you look at the Middle East and they're in fighting over ethnic groups for thousands of years. And what about in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. What about the, the Irish? They were just discriminated against. The Chinese. What about the Jewish people? You know, where's their mm-hmm. cash? I mean, that's, I mean, yeah. well, look at the Native Americans. Talk about ones that got really screwed over. You know, I mean, well, that, so we're, yeah, no, no, you know I mean? no, you're, no, right, you're right. No, thanks for the call. No, you're, I mean, that, that, that is kind of a where do you draw the line? I have a text here, Jeff. I'm born and raised here in Wisconsin. I'm Latino. Do I get anything? How do I stop paying taxes for this, Jeff, reparations would cause more of a divide in America. Jeff, um, this is a difficult question. In a perfect world, reparations could be issued. $17 trillion being given to certain people based on the race doesn't seem feasible, especially considering it is the ancestors who were the ones who went through uh, custodial suffrage. I guess, you know, that's it. Jeff, the racism door, you know, swings both ways. No to any types of payoffs. Jeff, here's the problems with reparations. Um, members of minority groups also pay taxes, and the money would be coming from them as well. Other question is, again, who who decides this? What about Native Americans? I think this is opening Pandora's uh, box. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the $17 million trillion, sorry, $17 trillion in reparations, that, would that make the racial angst that we have in this country go away we continue the conversation in just a minute this is wagner back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner 855-616-1620 which is the acunate mortgage talk and text line and one of the practical problems with reparations besides where is the money going to come from is is how do you allocate that do you Let's say you have the the African American doctor who's making half a million or a million dollars a year. Do you give him or her 
that that those reparations you know what about the african-american ball players who are making enormous amount of money do 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 they get the reparations is it based on on need um do you get into a situation of trying to decide okay who who really qualifies you know for this is it like elizabeth warren and i've got five percent of native american blood how do you decide all this is a cash pay and does a cash payment really change anything i guess that's that's what I keep coming back to. Is it nice to go out to the um, to the mailbox and would it be nice to find a, a, a check in there? Absolutely. Is it would it be really nice to find a really big check? Absolutely. But does that change any of the dynamic at all? If we want to invest in trying to overcome racism, isn't it better and perhaps putting that, that money into the, the schools and into job opportunities and things like that, isn't that better than like a, a generational, once-in-a-generation payout to people um, for, for the money? 855-616-1620. Ellen in Whitefish Bay. Ellen, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. You stole my thunder. <laughs> oh, whoops. Okay. Well, great minds, think al- great minds think alike. Right. Go ahead. Make your point. Okay, my point is um, I believe that the money shouldn't be just handed out because then I think that it would be it wouldn't do it wouldn't help anything. I think the problem is that so many pe- minorities and people of low income are not prepared for the jobs that are out there today. So my idea would be that you would help people help people who meet an income test to get into school, get get mm-hmm. get prepared for a job, maybe have an apprenticeship. I think that a lot of the types of jobs that are available aren't always brought up to people, like apprenticeships um, and those kinds of trainings. I'd like to see that, and then I'd like to see people, while they're in school, get some subsidy, some subsidy for their living expenses. Um, it's the, the idea is fraught with difficulties because you're going to have people that aren't going to follow the plan. But I'd like to see something more geared to our economy. We have a capitalistic economy where jobs are so important and work is so important. That's what I'd like to see more of. No, no. Thanks for call. I, I appreciate it. And and, and I mean, what, what we're talking about is, is a complete. Like a, a sea change that, that that's out there because I I agree with you. If you give if you in a, let's let's forget the idea of reparations. You you give somebody money, and what happens is they end up spending that that money and and maybe you know they pee it away. Maybe they use it to make a better life, etc. etc. But then that money is gone. On the other hand, if you say, okay, look, we, we have a problem. Maybe maybe we have had areas where there's been systematic racism and that as a result we haven't had people haven't had the same job opportunities or the same educational opportunities or whatever. And what we want to do is, is we want to we want to go about dealing with that. And now again we, we talk about public schools all the time here. I'm I'm one of those people who doesn't doesn't 
buy into the notion that just simply throwing money at a problem solves the the problem. I mean, you you look at MPS for example, and they, there's you know there's, there's a lot of per pupil spending that goes on, and you, you don't necessarily get the results out on the other side because of all these other issues that are going on. I'm not smart enough to figure out how you solve all the various social problems that exist in this world. I just think taking a bunch of money and giving it to certain groups and then having to argue and decide how are we going to determine this and and how are we going to isolate this and where is the money going to come from and are we going to have restraints on how it's spent and all that, I, I don't think that gets us closer to you know how to a colorblind sort of society and i'm not sure that it necessarily even improves and and of course 17 million dollars is, is 17 trillion dollars is pie in the sky i mean that's that's there, there's no way that you're going to come up with payments like that but but you know what if we were talking about what about payments of a few thousand dollars or something like that would that be life-changing and, and the answer is no, what we need to do, it seems to me, is to concentrate on, and again, looking at the institutions of society, trying to make sure we do have a legitimate colorblind society, and, and moving towards that. And that's going to take work from all of us, no question about it. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.